Welcome everyone to episode 159 of the Reds Unrestricted podcast. I'm your host David Comerford and I'm joined by Jamie Barson and Mark Baker to review Liverpool's 2-0 win over Union SG. This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts. So Liverpool have made it back-to-back wins to start off their Europa League group stage campaign. This time scoring at the end of each half against Belgian club Union SG. Ryan Gravenberch with his first goal for Liverpool just before the break. And then Diogo Jota making sure of the three points in stoppage time at the end. So we'll begin as we do every single time with our match reaction podcast with our three word match reviews. And I'll come to you first, Jamie. But in addition to that, can you also just offer us your assessment of of that performance and that game in Anfield tonight? Yeah, so my three words are back to reality after everything that we've kind of gone through over the past few days. Um, and to be honest, it, it was, I was, as I'm sure everyone else is a little bit, I was sick of all of the whole fallout from Spurs. It was, obviously these things need to be spoken about, but it felt like we were getting more further and further away from the bit of the game that we actually liked. So it was good, even if it was a bit nervy today just to kind of settle into a, a fairly routine football match, really. Uh, see some players that we don't see too often. It it, it was a touch nervy, as, as I said, towards the end, but overall, just a kind of routine win. And I think that's kind of exactly what I needed right now. And I think what the squad probably needed as well. Yeah, a game of very, very little drama. Um, maybe to it to its own detriment at certain points, but I think it is a nice bit of change of pace after what's been going on the past few days. Definitely, we will touch on that uh, towards the end of the podcast. Obviously, we had our, our main uh, post-match Spurs episode the other day, but there's been a few developments since then, which we'll need to have a look at. Um, my assessment of that game, I think, I I think the the positive spin on it is that Liverpool just took care of business really and um, that's all that matters at the end of the day I think generally speaking the performance was all right I thought Liverpool pretty much controlled the game they created quite a lot of big chances there was a frankly dreadful miss from Darwin Nunez there was a chance Mohamed Salah should have buried Diogo Jota had a, a free header as well the Gravenberch one obviously they, they pounce on the error um, from the goalkeeper so they, they definitely had enough chances to be more comfortable in the game at scoreline wise but Really, I don't think, from my standpoint, anything kind of logical was telling me that they were going to get an equaliser. Um, they weren't carrying too much of a threat, um, in all honesty. And, uh, you know, naturally, you think sometimes when a game's drifting, that there could be a bit of a, a sting in the tail for you. But I, I don't think there was too much of a prospect of that. I mean, the first shot on target um, that Union SG had in the game, I believe, was um, in uh, stoppage time when McAllister basically passed the ball back into his own box. Obviously, by that point, Liverpool were already 2-0 up. And um, I don't think it's one that, if we're being brutally honest, is going to live long in the memory. And I think the Europa League first couple of games have sort of made you realise why you are so grateful to be in the Champions League at times and have the spectacle. But, but no, I mean, we can't have too many complaints, I suppose, with the situation that we're in. And um, realistically now, I think Liverpool should be in a position to box off progression quite quickly as you'd expect I mean they'd probably only need to, to win one game and draw one more and they'd be all right but obviously they want to do it with a bit more sort of um glamour than that I suppose 
my three-word match review, and I'm going to have deliberately left it till the end because I want to talk about him more in a second, is Kwanzaa is brilliant because I thought he was probably Liverpool's man of the match today. But I'll bring you in now, Mark. Uh, what did you think of the performance? What would your three-word summary be? And how are you finding the Europa League so far from these first couple of games? Yeah, I'd just say um, a standard victory, really, Dave. That's how I'd, I'd sort of describe it for Liverpool. I think what you've always got to factor in in, in sort of elite football, I suppose, is them small percentages in terms of the players' motivation being at that absolute elite level for the 90 minutes when, essentially, they probably know that they can just go up a few gears and beat the opposition. And I think that's what we're sort of seeing in these early Europa League games, in the, especially in the group stages, we're seeing that Liverpool are playing in sort of the second tier of European competition. And I think that's sort of reflected in the atmosphere around the game, but also probably the way the players go into the game, whether subconsciously or not, really. The fact that normally in these kind of games, when you've simply got better players than the opposition by by a considerable margin, they'll be decided by errors from the opposition or pieces of, of, of enhanced quality from yourself in the final third. And I think we've seen that today. The first goal is obviously a really poor goalkeeping error. And then the final goal, for as poor a game as he actually had, was a piece of quality from Jota in the way that he was able to have his touch away from the defender onto his left-hand side and then a really clinical finish, which which couldn't be said for the opposition who got into multiple areas and couldn't replicate that. So I think that's just what we've seen, really. Yeah, and I think Liverpool were pretty much in control of that game for long periods. I think there was a sort of... Spell. I mean, they came out quite quickly for the second half and they were really, you know, um, pinning uh, Union SG back. And I thought up for the first sort of two-thirds of the game, Liverpool's counter-pressing was probably the best aspect of the performance. You know, they were really... I mean, that was the moment where they were kind of really energised, actually just after they'd lost the ball and they were they were surrounding the opposition and winning it back quite quickly. And you thought in that spell, Liverpool might kill it off. Then it drifts a bit. They kind of come back into it. They have a few kind of half openings. But I think Liverpool, generally speaking... Um, never really felt too too panicked or, or flustered by by what they were saying. And I think you make a good point with the motivation side of things as well. And it was a point that Steve McManaman alluded to in commentary, said because Liverpool know that they don't necessarily have to be close to their best to win these games, that they don't have that maybe extra edge. But when it gets to the knockout stages, when Liverpool are potentially facing teams from the Champions League group stages, um, and they have to go up a gear than they will, and it'll bring out the best in them, bring out more tempo in the games, and probably a bit more from from the crowd as well. Um, let's get into a couple of the individual performances then, and uh, rather than doing Kwanzaa, as much as I um, was really pleased with the performance, I think we should probably go with Graven Birch first off, um, scoring his first goal for Liverpool today, and looks like someone who will probably start against Brighton on Sunday, given the first of a three-match ban for Curtis Jones. Jamie, what did you think of his performance tonight? Yeah, I think uh, it was his best best in a, in a Liverpool shot so far. Um, I think in previous games, he's looked really nice and tidy. Uh, and his, his, kind of, his ability to keep hold of the ball was very, very good. Uh, I think what we saw tonight is, is a bit more of him kind of driving forward. And I thought that was very promising. The, the Nunez uh, offside disallowed goal comes from his shot. Obviously, he scores as well. Um, so we saw him kind of a bit more attacking intent, uh, which is great to see. And maybe because 
uh, I don't know, if you don't have a, a sub-assai or someone like that in the team, you're maybe kind of hoping for him to be your most advanced midfielder, or at least maybe just at home against a, a side of, of lesser quality, maybe him and Elliot are given the licence to push forward. So that was a bit of a different side to his game, which I was pleased to see. Uh, I disagree, though, actually, with the fact that he'll start against Brighton. I really think it will be Endo from what we saw tonight, uh, just in terms of him being hooked at half-time. Uh, it, unless there's some sort of injury or fitness thing that we didn't see there, I'm guessing Klopp's plan is that he'll do endo and move McAllister forward, which would be a bit of a shame, I think, because, as you say, it was a really, really good performance from Grunberg and, and deserves maybe to to get in the team for that one. But I think it'll be, it'll be endo. Well, I'll throw that straight over to you then, Mark. I mean, who, who do you expect to see starting at Brighton and who would you start out of those two players? Obviously, they're not the same in their profile, but it's going to depend basically on how Klopp wants to use McAllister against his former club. Yeah, it's, it's probably the most interesting thing that's going to come up over the next few weeks, I suppose, Dave, because I think Curtis Jones will be a massive loss for Liverpool. I've mentioned it before. I think he's an absolutely crucial player for Liverpool since they've changed system, played him in the higher left-hand side position, and not just in terms of with the ball, because we know I mean, I was mentioning this before. I was looking at the, the numbers and stuff like that. I think there's only Rodri who actually retains the ball more than Curtis Jones. Now, when you think that Rodri plays in a deeper position, Curtis Jones plays higher with his less time and space. I mean, that's a, such a valuable trait to have, and especially going into a team like Brighton, who've got such organised pressure without the ball. Um, it'll be a massive loss to Liverpool, and, and just in general. I mean, not only Curtis Jones being able to retain the ball, but obviously out of possession as well. I think he's an absolute physical monster, Curtis Jones, the way he can cover ground, cut off passing lanes and, and disturb the opposition. So, so yeah, probably one of the worst players that Liverpool could actually lose. I think he's that valuable. And like you say, the identity of sort of who replaces him is, is really interesting because probably stylistically in terms of being able to retain the ball under pressure, Harvey Elliott is the, is the most like Curtis Jones, but obviously the issue then is that Harvey Elliott predominantly plays off the right hand half space and not the left. That means that you then have to move to Bosley. So I don't really see that sort of happening. Um, Gravenberg, in terms of player profile, in terms of just his positional wise, would be the most likeliest fit. And I think he has shown touches of, of real promise in terms of the way he can receive the ball in different angles, contort his body to be able to. It's a bit like Gakpo, actually. One of Gakpo's biggest traits for me or his elite traits is being able to receive the ball on the half turn and in one movement go from facing his own goal to the opposition's goal and being able to consort his body and I've seen a little bit of that in Gravenberg as well however what I would say is he's more a lot more inclined to be able to give the ball away than Jones and I think that'll be the interesting thing going to Brighton initially in the first game whether whether that certainly goes with of course Enzo is as we've mentioned is the, is the other option but I don't know with Enzo. I sort of see him as more of a player who will be a player to sort of rest legs for Liverpool, playing cup competitions, playing maybe the Europa League, give rest to more, some of the more valuable players and become more of a squad player. And I also think if you don't do play Enzo, then you've got the problem of them moving Alexis, which in the longer term you may want to do. But I think the continuity then, you're losing Jones plus you're changing Alexis' position. I think I'm really torn on, on who he'll go with. I suppose... If I'm sitting here now, I still probably think he may may go for Gravenberg, but I've got no real no real assurance in that. I think all offers offer different things, and I'm not really I'm not really sure which way he'll go. All have positives and negatives, I suppose. But I do see Enzo as being more of that kind of player that is more of a leg rester, a squad player who'll come in at the end of games and maybe 
play in the cup competitions. But I may be completely wrong about that because I have, I'm, I'm not 100% who it's going to be. Yeah, and I think, obviously, we, we've got to look at the game against Brighton and it's probably, I know they um, obviously took a heavy beating against Aston Villa last weekend, but Liverpool will, will play completely different to, to how Villa did. And it's one of the, the trickiest away games you'll have all season as well. So if it is Gravenberch or if it is Endo, I mean, for... I think Gravenberch hasn't made his full Premier League debut. I think Endo's only started once. I think that was against Newcastle. You know, you're looking at one of almost the most difficult games you can throw them into. So whoever plays is in for a very tricky test. I think in terms of Gravenberch tonight, I think really pleasing performance. We're not maybe seeing the full complete package just yet. And that's natural. It's early days. He's still getting back to maybe his, his absolute best after barely playing at Bayern. But there's really encouraging signs in every single game. And you touched on it there, Mark. I mean, the thing that I kind of like most is how proactive he is when he receives the ball. Um, it seems like every single time he's getting, he's almost one step ahead. He's thinking about how he can kind of elude his marker and get into space. And that sense of urgency that he has when he gets it is something that I think sets him apart, certainly among Liverpool's midfielders, even if he is you know, quite similar to, to someone like Gakpo in that regard. Um, and I said it after, uh, I think it was a game against Lask, that he almost plays, you know, plays sideways sometimes because he's he's that kind of proactive, like I say, and and that dynamic and that intent on driving Liverpool forward. So he is a really interesting player to watch, and um, you know, I think as he gets better, that'll only um, increasingly be the case, I suppose. Let's talk about another outstanding um, individual display then. This time at the back, Liverpool keeping a clean sheet for the first time since the win over Aston Villa before the uh, September international break. So that one's been a decent time coming. And I played, played a big part in that. Jamie was um, Gerald Kwanzaa at the back. Um, this was his uh, full European debut as well. And he was really impressive, wasn't he? He was. Uh, and I think it kind of speaks volumes of the fact now that so, so when we're hardly into the season at all uh, and you see his name in the team sheet and you're like, yeah, makes sense. Fair enough. Yeah, uh, a player who before preseason, I'll be honest, I, I knew very little about. You could convince me that I might have heard the name, but I couldn't tell you where he played on the pitch, for example. So it's it speaks it speaks volumes, really. He looked comfortable. Uh, he, I think, he was particularly impressive last ditch in his uh, towards the end of of the second half. There were a couple of times where it appeared like they were getting round the back of him, and he kind of stretched out one of those kind of telescopic legs and put it behind for a corner or, or whatever. Uh, I, the, I saw him get caught maybe slightly with the offside line a couple times. And that's something that will come with time playing with the team and, and time obviously just developing because he's still, he's only 20 years old. Um, so apart from that, you can't really fault him. Uh, he's kind of spraying passes in the Van Dyke mould, even if they're not quite coming off just yet. But that's, again, that's good instincts and that's, Shows that something that they're working with him on, and and he's firing balls into into people's feet, which is 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 very impressive impressive as well. Uh, his first clean sheet, I think, because it's only the Reds' second clean sheet in the entire season. Um, so yeah, all positive signs, really. It just it's it's difficult to speak about him really because it's it's just comfortable. He just seems kind of at home, and that is is, is all you can ask for really from from a defender, at least while he's twenty years old. And I think you're spot on to say that it's not a surprise to see him in the team sheet. And um, 
I think we all looked at the group stages of this competition and thought, this is sort of, if there's any youngster who's going to really take this by the scruff of the neck now and shine, it's going to be Ben Doak. And don't get me wrong, he's still got time to do that. Obviously, he didn't feature tonight, but still four more games. And especially if Liverpool can sort of seal progression in that kind of fourth match, then I think you'd probably see quite a lot more from, from the youngsters. But at the moment, you know, maybe it's actually going to be Kwanzaa, the one who really kind of built his reputation in this competition. Um, Mark, obviously there was a lot of talk during the summer over Liverpool's um, failure to sign a centre-back and Kwanzaa, you know, it's still very early in terms of him being a long-term solution. But for for this season, actually, it looks increasingly with every game that he can be a, a fairly decent, you know, fourth, fifth choice option for Liverpool, doesn't it? Yeah, I think he's done really well. I've been really impressed with him. Like Jamie says, I wasn't really too familiar with the, the player before the start of the season. I think, I suppose the best comparison would be somebody like um, Rhys Williams, who came in the other season. And I think when he was playing for Liverpool, Rhys Williams, it, there was always a vulnerability for me, as well as he did at times for Liverpool and obviously coming into a very difficult situation. I think that when you play for Liverpool as a centre-half, you, obviously you've got to have a, a quality on the ball. But if we just touch on without the ball, you've got to be able to defend high, be able to defend big spaces in behind and being able to manage like sorts of scenarios in isolation. And I think for someone like Reese Williams, he just didn't have that capability. You've seen that if he was to get in a foot race, for example, there was a vulnerability there. Whereas when I've watched Quanta, for example, he was coming up against, you know, mobile players, players who could potentially cause him harm in the channels and, and in wide open spaces. And he's managing them situations really well, despite obviously having a, you know, a body which is still growing and, and that physicality which is, has, has got to come and that power and that explosiveness. The fact that he's been able to manage them scenarios already, I think it's really, really positive for him to be able to be sort of a fixture for Liverpool in the, in the future. And especially, you know, everyone crying out for a centre-back. But a lot of, you know, the fan base, they don't know what, what's there in front of them and what the coaching staff are looking at. And if you're looking at sort of a, a fifth choice in there and they've obviously looked at him and thought, you know what, we, we think he could do the job. And he certainly came in and, and took his opportunity. And it'll be interesting to see sort of where he goes after this season if his progress continues because ultimately Joel Matip would be leaving Liverpool. You still think they'll probably bring another in, but he could still be, be part of that mix, I suppose, if he carries on. But it is early days, but I've been very impressed with him. Yeah, and I don't think anyone really expected him to be kind of making an impression in the first team this year. No disrespect to him, but, you know, obviously he's just been on loan, I think, in League One last year. And I think the expectation probably would have been, oh, well, he'll get another loan maybe in the championship this time and then we'll re-evaluate. But it's kind of, it has kind of come a little bit out of nowhere. But I think with every kind of game you see of him, you're increasingly impressed. And um, tonight, I thought his best moment was probably when Alisson um, flaps at that corner and, and he makes what is potentially a goal-saving clearance. But even you know, aside from that, he was dominant um, in his duels. You know, there was a couple of moments where he really kind of um, uses physicality quite well. I think there was a couple of moments as well where I looked at it and thought his position was really smart, which I think sometimes defenders come through and they've got what they need physically in terms of height, power, pace, things like that, but they maybe lack that awareness. I think there's been a few moments from Kwanzaa where you're like, you know what, actually, he's quite switched on, which is really important. And in terms of the on-the-ball stuff as well, I think I agree with you, Jamie, that maybe not every pass is coming off, but there was one really nice one uh, through the lines in the lead-up to the, the miss for Nunez, which I look back on now and think it's a bit of a shame that he did miss because it's one of them where those moments always get a bit more attention when the final result is a goal. But that's obviously 
no no fault of, of Kwanzaa whatsoever. And I think just all round tonight, um, he was very good. And for me, was a player who impressed most. And on a night where I don't think we'll be sort of, you know, t- thinking about this one too much in, in sort of the months and years to come. Um, I think that was the the thing that was the biggest positive, I, I would say. Um, but, you know, crucially, the three points on the board as well. So that's sort of the Union SG game broadly dealt with. I'd say we want to touch on the uh, the latest VAR-related developments before we finish because there has obviously been, been basically everything um, in, in the news this week. You know, never has a, a VAR story, you know, stayed in the headlines like this one. Um, the first thing we need to talk about is, is Jurgen Klopp's comments in his press conference before this game where he says that not from the club's standpoint, but individually, he thinks that the game against Tottenham should be replayed. One thing that's worth stressing is when he asked the press officer what Liverpool's stance on that was, he was simply told to say that Liverpool were considering their options, which means that the club haven't actually ruled out asking for that. Um, it's obviously unlikely that they, they would formally request it or that it would actually happen, but it's still pretty extraordinary that this conversation is being had at a serious level. I mean, I'll start with you, Jamie. What did you make of it when Klopp actually came out and said that on, on uh, Wednesday? Um, I'm going to be honest. I was disappointed. Uh, I don't agree with it, frankly. Uh, I think Saturday was unprecedented. And, and that's one thing that is frustrating to see on social media. So many uh, journalists, fans, everyone kind of pointing to uh, incorrect decisions made in the past and, and kind of false equivalents with that. I find that very frustrating that people aren't understanding that this isn't a case of officials getting a decision wrong. It's it's officials getting a decision right and then communicating it in such a poor manner that the, that, that, that isn't implemented in the way that they intended. And so absolutely, in that sense, it is unprecedented. But to me, the worst thing about VAR is that you can't celebrate a goal with 100% confidence anymore. To find ourselves in a situation where you can't celebrate a win with 100% confidence anymore, I, I, I wouldn't even know where the sport would go for, uh, at that point. It, it sounds kind of <laughs> catastrophizing it, but at that point, what's the point? When, when, when do you celebrate? Is it when you won the league, or maybe do we do we replay the league at some point? I don't mean to. I don't want to jump in on the whole kind of oh, let's replay the Champions League final in twenty nineteen thing because obviously that's stupid and that doesn't make any sense. But the the niggling piece of doubt that would be in the back of every supporter's mind if they get a great win on the road or whatever, it could be a Champions League final, it could be the thirty sixth game of a of a season for two mid table sides. It doesn't matter if. If you're in a situation where you can't be 100% confident that a win will be counted as a win, even if it only gets pulled back once every 10 seasons for a replay, if you're not confident in that win, then what are we, what are we here for? Yeah, I think, you know, this is obviously a, a very unique situation. You know, you used the word unprecedented there, Jamie. I mean, for a goal to be reviewed, a goal to be essentially given, and then basically just miscommunication mean that it's it's ruled out as it was on field. We've never seen anything like that in, in the VAR age. So I can understand why Liverpool feel like this one isn't just an apology and move on type of scenario. Having said that, I just don't think 
a replay is a reasonable request and I don't think it's a viable request. And to me, I was, I don't want to say disappointed, but I thought it was a little bit too too far from Klopp to, to say that really. And people have said, you know, um, oh, when you actually listen to it, he's being quite moderate. You know, when you say that, what's going to happen in the media. He's been here long enough. He's been at top level long enough to know the kind of storm that that's going to create to the point where you think that is he trying to be nuanced or is he actually trying to whip up um, that frenzy a little bit? So, yeah, I, I don't actually have too much to say on it beyond the fact that I don't agree with what he's saying and I don't think there's any kind of realistic scope for it to happen. Mark, what about you? Where do you stand on this? Yeah, I don't think it was ever going to be a possibility really, Dave. So I, I didn't really understand what sort of Klopp was trying to trying to get out of it. He's un- understandably frustrated with the decision. But um, no, I never thought that it was going to be going to be a reality. I mean, I think what people are missing in all of it, it, because it's brought up the big thing of, you know, people not wanting VAR and all this kind of thing again. If VAR weren't there, Liverpool wouldn't have got a goal because the linesman put his flag up for offside. And I think I get into loads of discussions with my friends, really, about VAR. And I'm an advocate of VAR. I think that every time I think about VAR in terms of, I mean, listen, don't get me wrong, that was a terrible decision. But 99 times out of 100, they get the right decision. And and the offside, there's no there's no doubt about it. And there's none of them offside goals that are given incorrectly anymore and that kind of thing. So that's a positive. But just in terms of decisions in general in VAR, no one can tell me that a fella running around a football pitch who's older than the players who's less fit than the players and gets one look at the opportunity to, to view an instance with the players, there's going to be more accurate decisions. Now, I I understand that at times they, they still get things wrong and some of them, I must admit, are inexplicable. I mean, I seen one the other day in terms of the goalkeeper. can't remember what game it was where it went back to the goal. Was it Nottingham Forest? Yeah, it was Johan Brisser taken on by... Yeah, and you're thinking to yourself, what are you looking at there? I, I, I mean, them ones, I just, I just can't fathom. But I think one of the biggest problems with VAR is, let's use Curtis Jones as an example, the sending off. Now, things are so tribal, and, and I think there's two things, really. The tribalness of, say, supporters, but also a lack of understanding about the actual rules. So there's people getting paid to come on telly as pundits and talk about... I kept hearing it on the Curtis Jones incident. Well, he hasn't meant to do it. Well, that's irrelevant. There's, there's no. It doesn't matter if he's meant to do it. It's never intent. Is not in the rule book in terms of that. That was a straight red card. It was unfortunate for Curtis Jones. He never meant to commit the action. However, he nearly broke the lad's leg. So even me as a Liverpool supporter, having known a little bit about the rules, and then I'm thinking to myself, well, that's a really good decision by VAR. But that's questioned by the majority of people because, A, most of the people don't understand the rules and, B, the tribalness that comes into football. So I think there's just always going to be contentions all the time because of them two things, especially when you've got people coming on the telly in the studio who are getting paid to be able to give their opinion and are just miles away from being able to explain the the truth of the matter in in terms of, that's a great example. You know, he hasn't meant it. Well, that's, that's totally irrelevant. Everyone can see he hasn't meant it. Everyone can see what he's tried to do. However, the reality is, at that stage, he's got a decision to make. Does he go in? Does he lunge towards the ball? Sorry, stretch towards the ball with his feet outstretched, which then takes the outcome out of his hands? Or does he just delay? Does he decelerate? 
and then the incident doesn't happen. But it's the latter, unfortunately. So they're the only things I think about in, in terms of VAR. I think the controversy, because them them aspects of it, it, there'd be controversy if there was a ref looking at it one time or VAR. But I'm of the opinion that if you, you'd have more looks of the situation and are able to break it down more, you'll get more accurate decisions overall than one person who's less fit and also is probably older than the players in terms of his physicality to get around the pitch. And, and, and looking at it multiple times, hopefully you'll get a better outcome. And I don't think we'll ever go back. So I don't know quite the, the arguments about getting rid of it for, really. Yeah, I 100% agree in terms of being on the pro-VAR side of things. I think there's a lot of romanticising of the period before VAR when everyone called for VAR yeah. to come in. And and now, obviously, the situation that we're in, I think nobody focuses on the positives that it brings. And don't get me wrong, there have been a lot of awful mistakes that have been made, unacceptable mistakes as well. Um, but I just don't see, I, I can only see it as a regressive step if, if it was ever kind of, you know, if it was ever scrapped. Um, and not that I necessarily think it will be, to be honest. But um, one of the kind of firm actions that's been taken to separate this um, incident and this controversy from previous installments of, of VAR madness when, you know, there's just been an apology and things like that is um, the VAR for the game. Darren England has been taken off Liverpool matches for the remainder of the season, um, which to me doesn't sit right whatsoever, to be honest. Um, I don't know if that's something that Liverpool called for or, or that's just a decision that's been made from above, really. But I just have this sense that if you're a rival club looking on at this, are you saying... If you have an official who has a few problems with you, you know, does that mean you get to demand he's taken off your games? And does that mean that you can trust that official? Is that official's professionalism now being called into question? We know that he went to referee in the UAA. Is there any connection to that? I mean, we'd have to assume not at this point, obviously, but it, it is just an incredibly sort of problematic situation, I think. And um, it reminds me of a time when Thomas Tuchel said that it was probably best for Anthony Taylor to be kept away from Chelsea matches after a string of controversies um, involving him um, and the club over over a number of years, to be fair. And nothing kind of happened on that in terms of, you know, Taylor was allowed to continue refereeing those games. So it shows you kind of how dire this situation is perceived to be, um, that that call has been made, to be honest. Um, we'll just get a couple of quick thoughts on that then before we finish. I mean, Jamie... Do you think I'm making too big a deal out of that or it's something that you think is a bit of an issue as well for that to happen? No, I, I do think it's an issue as well. Um, I think what the PGMOL, their argument would probably be is that they are attempting to take uh, an official out of the firing line and to ignore, uh, to not to ignore, sorry, to, to avoid any kind of uh, excess scrutiny on his performance next time uh, he's involved in a Liverpool game. But Frankly, I think it sets a bad precedent, as you said. And I also think, what what are they trying to say with this decision? Because it's it's an issue of incompetence, right? Not of bias. At least that's that seems to be the understanding of it, and I I agree with that understanding. So why is he going to be any more incompetent refereeing a Liverpool game than he is refereeing a Man United game or a Sheffield United game or whoever? It's not an issue of bias. 
So why is it a specific response to do with one club, i.e. Liverpool in this case? Uh, and they just don't really do themselves any favours, really. I'm, I'm not for a second calling into question the, 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 any kind of issue of bias with any of the referees involved. But if you're put, putting your, your officials in a position where that can be called into question, be it through this or be it through trips to the UAE, any of that, it's just, I, I think, people have been talking about a duty of care that, that people have towards their officials. I think that that is, is a very, very irresponsible and unfair position to allow your employees, if you are the PGMOL, to have your their integrity questioned through simple, basic things like this. And it, it, I just don't understand what the decision is, is meant to say or is meant to achieve. Yeah, and I think, you know, you mentioned, you know, smaller clubs, I suppose, and whether they get the same treatments. I think not. And I think the whole situation has demonstrated how much influence Liverpool have. I mean, even the release of, of the audio the other day sort of said that Liverpool are a very powerful force because in the past it's been that, you know, audio has always been controlled by the PGMOL and, and they've been able to sort of cherry pick what they want to feature on that sort of Howard Webb show. But for it to be released publicly at Liverpool's behest, I think was it was a real sort of um, statement from them almost. And I think anyone who says um, X club, you know, Luton, for example, wouldn't get the same treatment in the exact same situation is right. Um, and that's just the, the reality of the situation at the moment. Um, just to finish off there, Mark, I mean, your thoughts on... Um, Darren England getting taken off Liverpool games for the rest of the season. Yeah, it's, I, I don't see how that helps the the situation really, Dave. I mean, essentially, they just want don't want to have any more controversy, do they? In case there's a decision which is, I suppose, controversial or anything like that. But you can see from the audio tape, which I think actually, in general, probably has helped. Well, will help in the long run the referees because there's this much sort of people with conspiracy theories again about tribalism about you know that the referees are deliberately doing this in some cases and i think the the what the the audio just shows is is people just getting it wrong under pressure which i think everyone has done in in certain elements of the job and i think the process was completely right in the sense of what they did like they would do 99 times out of 100 the difficulty was that at that split second someone's just or dan england has switched off from what the decision has been given and got it terribly wrong. And I think after that, I think the big error has been that, you know, he had that moment in time where he was probably thinking, do I stop it? Do I stop it? And then he didn't and he carried on. And unfortunately, it's caused the, caused the bigger problem. But I don't see how taking him off the games for Liverpool in particular will cause any any real positives other than the fact that they're obviously looking at it and thinking we can't be can't be doing with the controversy. But I think I think the videos just show that, that that there's an incident of a lack of communication for, and it only takes a split second in terms of one person thinking one thing and one person thinking the other the game then gets restarted and then you're in all kinds of trouble the big mistake was obviously them not rectifying that when they probably had them couple of seconds where they're, they're thinking should i should i and they didn't end up doing it yeah and just one last point i wanted to make on this um you know obviously that situation there with the play wasn't able to be restarted Afterwards, they said, um, you know, they were their hands were kind of tied. I think that's a prime example of something where VAR has been in place since 2019. There hasn't been enough substantive change to it. That should be something going into next season where if 
a glare a mistake like that is identified quickly then it, it can be kind of immediately addressed because we wouldn't be having any replay conversation if a matter of what 10 seconds later however long it was the ball went out of play that the goal had actually been awarded so that i think that's a good example of, of the kind of um constructive change that can be made in response to what's actually happening because in reality the version of var we have now is very similar i would say to the one that actually came in and it should have been treated at the, at the outset as more of a, a trial and error type process because it was absolutely brand new but yeah we'll leave it there uh, for this podcast which has obviously been a bit more wide-ranging than a normal um post-match episode but yeah liverpool obviously getting that victory tonight against union sg and we'll be back in action on sunday against brighton and we'll be back with another post-match episode after that one in the meantime if you've enjoyed this podcast, please do give us a five-star review. Remember to follow the podcast and press the notification button as well. And yeah, we'll be back at the weekend with our next episode. But until then, take care.